We have a special request. What drives Shawnee and I to do this podcast and our day jobs is to try and help investors reach their financial goals. Whether you're in retirement or just starting out, we want to hear your story and how Morningstar has helped you build a better financial future for your family. We're filming a short set of testimonial videos that will go through your journey. If you're a Sydney-based Morningstar Premium subscriber and you'd like to take part, the link to the survey is in our episode notes. If we pick you, we'll extend your premium subscription for a year as a thank you for helping out. Thanks and looking forward to hearing from you. Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So today, we're going to talk about a report that's come from Morningstar's US research team that has a pretty significant impact on how we should view and prepare for retirement. And this is going to be a long episode. It is. We should warn people. So if you're not retired, you'll be retired. By the time. By the time you finish (laughs) listening to the episode. We were going to break this into two, but then we realized that we promised not to do that. So Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) The other thing is, this is our first episode in 2022. Now we're still, we're recording this in 2021. Mm -hmm. Happy New Year. Yeah. Yeah. Happy New Year. Shawnee, you hate New Year's. Uh, Do I? I don't know. You don't ever do anything on New Year's. No, I don't. No. It's just, it's just a lot of logistics, you know, and I, I live in the middle of the city. I live in the rock. So it's just the road closures and it's just hard. Really? You've lived there one year. Yeah, but also in the middle, like I've lived in the city. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> a lot of logistics. So we'll expect no stories from you in 2022. No. And I mean, there is, so, there is like a little sliver, like I live on this road, which has a ramp up to the Harbour Bridge. And there's this tiny little sliver between all the buildings where I see like one firework. So I think it's worth it. But last year you were too (laughs) sick, right? To even Well, I I've hobbled up to the balcony and I watched. Okay. (laughs) The one firework. There we go. We should also quickly talk about the event, the event of two thousand twenty two, which is the Morningstar Individual Investor Conference. So Pumped. Yeah. Yeah. So so people should go to it. If you would like to go and you want a heavily discounted ticket, send me an email. We've got a great list of speakers, and we are going to record a live podcast episode. I News to me. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we're recording a live podcast okay. episode after the conference, <laughs> right. and there'll be beer there. So what yeah, else do you want? Exactly. Um, all right. So, and what are your New Year's plans, Mark? Uh, I will be in isolation. Because I'm going to Singapore for Christmas. So we'll basically be doing the same thing. We, we will. Mm. Yours by choice, mm. mine by <laughs> medical order. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll be in this stupid three-day isolation, right? So mm. even though I'll get my COVID test back, mm-hmm. and even though it takes two weeks, for some reason we have this three-day rule, which clearly was just made up. So that's what I'll be doing. I feel like a lot of the rules are made up. Yeah, but this one's like really made up. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's that's what I'll be doing. But uh, good times. All right. So since this is going to be a long episode, should we just get to it? We should. Okay. okay. So there's a report, as Shawnee mentioned. And the premise of this report and the whole point of this report is it's taking a look at the 4% rule. 
and looking at whether it's still applicable. So we'll go through a little bit about what the 4% rule is, but we do have a whole episode that covers the 4% rule, its history, how it works, how it's used to plan for retirement. So go back and listen to that one. Mm, And it's worth noting that this report is not just an academic report. The findings are something that all investors planning for their retirement should be aware of because the 4% rule is a basis for many people to figure out how much money you need in retirement. So we'll look at what's changed around the assumptions and conditions. And I think it's probably no surprise that the reason we're doing an episode is because we think the situation has changed for investors. So we'll do that. And then after that, we'll go into what you can do, all of you out there, what you can do to adjust and prepare for your retirement. So let's start with going through what the 4% rule is, because as we mentioned, the assumptions that were used are important to understand what's changed. So the 4% rule is in response to the two primary risks that retirees face, and understanding these risks is at the heart of retirement planning. The first is sequencing risk. When you start taking money out of a portfolio in retirement, what determines how long it will last is not just the average return you receive, but also the order or sequencing of the returns that you get. A non-technical name for sequencing risk is bad luck. The bad luck of retiring and having the market go down in the first years of retirement. If this happens, it significantly alters your retirement outcome. The problem is that you're taking money out of your portfolio when it's gone down. You're selling low and you have a smaller portfolio to take advantage of any bounce back in the market. A simple example illustrates sequencing risk. So if you retired in the year 2000 and had $500,000 invested in the S&P 500 and took $20,000 out a year, you would end up with $165,000 after 20 years. If you took the exact same returns and reverse them, 2019 returns occurred in 2000, 2018 in 2001, etc. You get a very, very different outcome. With this sequence of returns, you end up with $782,000. The average return is the same, but the outcome is very different. And the second risk that retirees face is longevity risk. And this one is simple to explain. I gave Shani the hard one to explain. (laughs) So it's really simple. It just means you run out of money before you die. And of course, the challenge with retirement is that you don't know when it's going to end. So we used to solve this problem by addressing retirement for a large group of people through a pension. And in a large enough group, you can plan for retirement because you know the average age that a person will die. So some will live to very old, some will die young, but for planning with a large group, all you need is the average. When you're planning your own retirement, the average age of death does little good, especially if you're 98 years old, broke, and homeless. Does that hit close to home? Well, I, I'm not broke or homeless, <laughs> so obviously you think I'm 98, but... Yeah. The way that you address sequencing risk is to lower the volatility in your portfolio. That is investment speak for saying you want to lower the risk that the value of your portfolio bounces around too much. You do this by holding more low volatility assets like bonds and cash. Bonds and cash fluctuate in value less than shares. However, if you're worried about longevity risk then you need to keep more funds in growth assets like shares with higher long-term expected returns but more volatility. The higher long-term expected returns mean that if you live a long time, your portfolio will keep up because it's earning a higher return. If you're sensing a conflict, then you're right. The way to combat sequencing risk is the worst thing you can do to address longevity risk, and that's the enigma of retirement. Enigma of retirement. Mm. That's good. Poetic. Yeah. So the way that we address those twin risks and seemingly contradictory approaches to mitigating them is through the withdrawal rate. We can pick the perfect withdrawal rate, then we can survive the good fortune of living a long time and the bad fortune of having poor returns early in retirement. 
And that was the point of the 4% rule, which was coined by a financial advisor named Bill Bengen. So Bill Bengen ran a bunch of scenarios to try and identify a withdrawal rate that would be able to last for 50 years for a portfolio with 50% equities and 50% fixed interest. And it would last during any historic return scenario between 1926 and 1992. In other words, you can safely fund a retirement without running out of money for 50 years, even if you had the misfortune to retire during the bear market. This was too conservative for many investors who would not live long enough for a 50-year retirement. When he looked at a 4% withdrawal rate, he found that your portfolio would last 30 years and that in no period in the history of the stock market would anyone run out of money in less than 30 years, no matter when they retired. So that was the birth of the 4% rule. So how does it actually work? To calculate how much you need in your portfolio, you simply divide the amount of money you would like per year by this withdrawal rate. If you want $100,000 per year to be generated from your portfolio at a 4% withdrawal rate, you can divide $100,000 by 4%, which equals $2.5 million. Yeah, and that's the value of this money, so or value of this 4% rule, not the value of money. <laughs> it provides investors a way of estimating the amount needed for retirement, even if it's several decades away and can seem very abstract. might be hard to picture what a million-dollar retirement portfolio means, but it's easy to imagine what a $40,000 a year income means. So in this way, the 4% rule is useful for all investors and not just for pre-retirees and retirees. Okay, so now we have set the scene and covered off what the 4% rule is, the assumptions behind it, and some nuances that investors should keep in mind. So let's move to the findings. Okay, so the findings were that forecasted returns are very different to the backtesting that Bengen did. So he was just taking historical circumstances into consideration. And understanding the past is necessary, but it's not really sufficient for anticipating the future. Of course, no one has a crystal ball, but we can look at the current market landscape to get an idea of what to expect. And there are really three things that are notable. First, bond yields are low, as low as they've been throughout the past 70 years. Second, stock valuations are high, as high as they have been throughout the past 70 years. And third, inflation is low. It is rising and has increased, but over the past several years, it's been as low as it has been over the past 70 years. And those first two factors reduce expected withdrawal rates. The third factor, which is low inflation, improves the result, but we're starting to see inflation come back. So you combine those three factors, you get lower expected future returns. And if your portfolio is going to have lower returns, you need to take less out of it if you want it to last for the same length of time. So the findings from the report have found that a safe withdrawal rate for a balanced portfolio is around 3.3% a year. So that, of course, is a revision from the 4% that Bill Bengen originally came up with. And this has implications with the immediate and most obvious one being that you need more money to retire. Earlier, we talked about how the withdrawal rate is used to estimate the amount of money you need in retirement. We used an example of $100,000 and said that at 4%, that means you need $2.5 million. Well, at 3.3%, that means you need over $3 million and That's a pretty big difference. Okay. But before you start making plans to work forever, we need to take a step back. That is definitely not what I was doing. Working forever? Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) You are out of here the minute you can be. Um, there There are certain rules of thumb that we use in investing and for other parts of our life too, so that we don't actually have to think about anything. That isn't our approach on investing compass. So any rule of thumb is meant to be general and apply to everybody which in reality means that it doesn't apply to anyone. You need to look at all the caveats associated with the rule of thumb and see what applies to you and what doesn't. 
Yeah, that's right, Mark. And investing is deeply personal. And the question for any investor is which of these caveats apply to your personal circumstances and which do not. The Morningstar study and report we're referencing used the same caveats that Bill Bengen used to make it consistent, but then went through a long explanation of why many retirees will have very different retirements. So first, let's look at what the 4% rule actually means. So Bill Bengen's model allows you to take out 4% of your assets to live off in your first year of retirement. If you have a million dollars, you'd be able to take out $40,000. The first nuance that many investors often forget is that the model allows for inflation in each subsequent year's withdrawals. If we use the same figures, if you experienced a 2% inflation rate in your first year, you would withdraw 40800 in your second. And the second nuance is life expectancy. So we said this before, the 4% rule counts for a retirement period of 30 years. As life expectancy has increased, the period that investors must provide for themselves in retirement has also increased. In, most, in more cases than not, many people are experiencing retirements as long as their working lives. It's important to understand that this shift has consequences. The entire purpose of the 4% rule is ensuring that you do not run out of money in a retirement that lasts 30 years. Then there's spending. Bill assumed a static spending amount in retirement. We know through research and, of course, experience that this is not the case for retirees. Generally, retirees tend to spend more at the beginning of retirement, with spending decreasing as time continues and then spiking at the end due to end-of-life costs. The amount withdrawn with the 4% rule does not account for these varied expenditures as withdrawals in this model are static. I like how you're in first name uh, first name basis. With, with Bill? With Bill. Yeah. Yeah. No. I've read enough of this to be on a first name you feel like you really know him? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing that's important to note is the study classifies success as surviving 90% of the simulations that were run. And due to this, a higher withdrawal rate does not necessarily fail in the real world. So although the report suggests a safe withdrawal rate of 3.3% for a 50% stock, 50% fixed income portfolio, a withdrawal rate of 4% would also succeed in the majority of our simulations. So according to the model, the 4% withdrawal rate would survive the full time period while making all scheduled payments on 74% of occasions. We go back to sequencing risk, or bad luck as we described it. We're worried about negative returns in the first couple of years of retirement. You can make it through that period without the misfortune of having markets drop significantly, then you will be part of that 74% that the 4% rule works for. And although retirees in the past have frequently been best served by owning as many equities as possible, the projection suggests a more conservative approach. The highest safe withdrawal rate comes from portfolios that hold 30 to 60% stock positions. And this occurs not because fixed income securities are expected to perform particularly well, but instead because of stocks volatility. When equities post gains that exceed 10% annually, their returns overcome their extra risk. However, at an annual return average of 8.01%, which is the projection for the 100% stocks portfolio, equities volatility becomes dangerous. And this is the heart of our study. We don't think given current valuation levels that shares will return 10% a year in the future, we think that returns will be lower and that's a problem with the 4% rule. This once again is sequencing risk. You have the misfortune to retire and markets immediately drop, then your higher allocation equities will significantly increase the chances you run out of money. Markets don't drop, then the higher returns from equities will serve you well. So we've gotten to the part where we look at what we can do about it. After looking at the state of the market, it's clear that the low return environment requires investors to create a little wiggle room. The 4% rule is based on a static withdrawal, and investors who use this method will have to settle for a lower starting withdrawal percentage 
if they want to lock in a 90% probability that their portfolios will last over a 30-year time horizon. But there may be an answer to this. The research looks at whether a more flexible withdrawal strategy can help wring out a higher income stream while maintaining a high probability of success. And once again, that's 90% success rate over 30 years. In other words, if retirees are willing to change their withdrawal amounts from year to year, taking lower withdrawals in weak market environments and higher ones in very strong ones, will that support higher lifetime withdrawals? Mm, So flexible strategies are effective because they help ensure that retirees don't overspend in periods of portfolio or market weakness while giving them a raise in strong portfolio market environments. Adjusting withdrawal rates based on portfolio performance can also help ensure that you consume your portfolios efficiently. If you have no interest in leaving an inheritance, for example, but instead aim to consume your entire portfolio during your lifetime, flexible strategies provide opportunities for course corrections. And it's worth noting that for nearly all retirees, portfolio withdrawals will compose just a portion of the household's cash flow needs. There's also income from an aged pension, annuities, investments outside of retirement accounts. As a result, changes in portfolio spending imposed by a flexible system will affect only a portion of your cash flows. And there are, of course, trade-offs for flexible strategies, and the major one being that your standard of living bounces around depending upon market conditions. Unlike the fixed withdrawals, it's not like a paycheck that you enjoy in retirement. Many retirees find it difficult to envision canceling a trip or reducing social activities just because the market goes down. To understand how a flexible strategy might help an investor, simulations are run with the most popular flexible strategies. It's also worth noting that a common objection that we hear about flexible withdrawal strategies is that there are mandated withdrawals from account-based pensions in super. We acknowledge that there are mandated withdrawals from this environment, but it's up to you to determine how much of these withdrawals are actually spent. Okay, so we're going to go through some specific withdrawal examples, and it may seem like this is only something for retirees, but Think through this if you're still working and saving money for retirement. The last thing that any of us want is to discover when it's too late that we're forced into a lifestyle we don't want in retirement. The reason we're thoughtful and proactive about planning is to avoid situations that we don't want to be in. And perhaps for you, that is a flexible withdrawal rate when the market determines the lifestyle that you have for any particular year. So if that is the case, then save more money while you're working so you don't put yourself in that position. And one other thing that we should mention, that adherence to the FIRE movement, so that's financially independent, retire early. They use the 4% rule to suggest that any time you can survive on a 4% withdrawal from your portfolio, you can just retire. So if you hit it at 35, you just retire. And this is a recipe for disaster. It is designed to work for 30 years, and you absolutely will run out of money if you're trying to make this last for 50 or 60 years. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. I feel like this really bothers you. You talk about it all the time. Well, I don't I don't talk about it all the time. I will say that it does bother me. <laughs> yeah. But you're portraying me as this is like all I talk about. It is. But let's move on from Mark's first rant of 2022, technically. So let's go through a few methods that the report explores. So the first method is foregoing inflation adjustments. And this is a fixed real withdrawal strategy, but with a twist, whereas the standard 4% style guideline entails annual adjustments, usually upward to reflect inflation. This method involves foregoing those upward adjustments following years in which the portfolio has declined in value. And one thing to note about this strategy is that in years when inflation goes significantly higher, they tend to correspond with falling markets. And this can be a difficult environment to maintain current spending levels when prices are rising significantly. But 
Once again, think about the impact that inflation has on your own life. Do you own your own home and have you paid off your mortgage? Then rent increases don't really impact you. Do you drive? If not, then increases in petrol prices don't really have an impact on you. Think about the different categories that are measured as part of inflation and think about what an increase in prices would do to your day-to-day lifestyle. Okay. So method two, Mm -hmm. two of four, just so people are aware. Two Mm -hmm. of four. Halfway. Required minimum distributions. So in its simplest form, this method is portfolio value divided by life expectancy. So as your life expectancy goes down as you age, and think about that, the amount that you withdraw will be adjusted upwards. However, the other adjustment is based on the value of your portfolio. The whole point of the 4% rule is that when you retire, it dictates what your spending is. So in this case, it's like starting the 4% rule each year because if your portfolio drops by half, you take out half as much. So this strategy means that you won't run out of money, but it also means that your withdrawals will vary a lot. We have a GFC style meltdown. That means that your withdrawal rates could go down by 30, 40, or even 50%, depending upon your asset allocation. All right. So number three, the guardrails method. This method, it was developed by a financial planner named John uh, Guyton and computer scientist William Klinger. And it aims to incorporate some variability based on market performance, but sets an upper boundary on how much comes out in good markets and a lower boundary around withdrawals in down markets. Basically, this means that your withdrawals won't fall too much in down markets and won't go too much up in up markets. You you, you didn't refer to them by their first name. You're not as close. <laughs> but it was actually Jonathan, but I shortened it to John. Yeah. You know? Casual gal, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Method four, 10% reductions following losses. So this method uses a fixed real withdrawal system as its baseline, but then it adjusts withdrawals downward by 10% in a year following a year in which the market has gone down, or I guess your portfolio has gone down. Once a portfolio generates a positive return again, then withdrawals go back to where they were prior to the downward adjustments. So we tested each of these strategies using the same criteria, so that 90% success rate of not running out of money over a 30-year period with a 50% allocation to equities and 50% allocation to bonds. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our topics across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSide's investment performance and tax reporting, that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. So what method should you employ as a retiree? Well, it's completely dependent on your goals and lifestyle in retirement. So what we'll do is we'll go through the different methods of withdrawal and we'll then talk about what type of circumstances it may suit. It's worth saying that employing a flexible withdrawal rate supported a higher initial safe withdrawal rate than a static method, which means that they do work. Yeah, they'll last longer, Mm. which is a good thing. All right. And this makes sense for a lot of investors. It makes sense because expenses are not static in retirement. So many investors have an uptick in expenses when they retire. They travel, they eat out more, and then there's a decline in the middle 
where there's a reduction to basic expenses. And then at the end, there's a surge due to end-of-life expenses, which I think is where Shawnee thinks I'm in right now <laughs> for my spending patterns. Um, but what we did see was that flexible withdrawals with parameters or guardrails around how high or low withdrawals can go in any given year does the best job of enlarging payouts in a safe way. But there's always a competing side to this. The same time as enlarging safe payments can also impact quality of life and it adds volatility to spending. Exactly. So in short, they're great in theory, but are they practical? And like many things in investing, this choice doesn't have to be black and white. There are spectrums for the approach that you take and the approach that we mentioned, uh, the approaches that we mentioned do have degrees of adoption for investors. So when we look at the guardrails method, it adjusts withdrawals to accommodate changes in portfolio value, but does so only within certain parameters. The method of foregoing inflation adjustments after portfolio losses, but otherwise adhering to fixed real withdrawals, further smooths cash flows, but leads to only a modest improvement in safe portfolio withdrawals. So in the end, the right withdrawal method is highly dependent on your personal situation. How much money you have, the stability of your pre-retirement income, your desire for certainty about not running out of money, and a bunch of other factors. So simplistically, retirees need to make a choice between a smaller portfolio, higher initial withdrawal rate, and variability in spending. So the choice of many retirees is dictated by circumstances. But as we said before, for younger investors or people transitioning into retirement, there are opportunities to save more or work longer to provide more choices at retirement. So as promised, here are some of the key considerations to bear in mind when determining the appropriate withdrawal system. So let's start with age and remaining life expectancy. If you're young, you can afford to have more flexible withdrawals, older, less flexible withdrawals. And the reason for this is that one of the key risks for retirement is sequencing risk, which we've mentioned, but means if you've gone past the danger zone of the first uh, 10 to 15 years, you're more likely out of the woods. But if you've had the misfortune of encountering a weak market environment in the early part of your retirement, you may need to have some rigidity to your approach. A variable withdrawal system will tend to be the most appropriate for new retirees and may be less necessary for people who have been retired for many years. Yeah. And the problem with this, right, we talked about it before, is that this flexible withdrawal rate early in retirement where there's variability mm -hmm. is when most people tend to spend the most. Yeah, exactly. So that's the problem. So even though you get to transition to this fixed withdrawal later in retirement, that's when you're spending less because mm -hmm. you're in my phase. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we move, let's move on to um, market environment. What are the market conditions? So if you have high equity valuations and you've had a few stellar years in the market, the expectation should be that there will be a drop-off at some point in the future. When you're in this period, you can employ a flexible withdrawal strategy to take advantage of a rewarding market environment, in turn helping to address the sequence of, of return risk. Yeah, and, and what Shani is saying, right, is the problem is that like people don't think about all the returns that they banked. Right, that they banked all these strong returns and their portfolio is only where it is because of these strong returns, people kind of reset. Right. So that's a that's a little bit of a problem. My my pet peeve. Yeah. But that in no. our notes here it says Mark talks about his pet peeves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> okay. So let's go through some of these different factors. So let's start with the level of wealth. And this is pretty intuitive. So more wealth means more flexible withdrawals. Less wealth, less flexibility. So once you get to a certain level of wealth, the day-to-day -day things needed to survive, so shelter and food, fried chicken for Shawnee, they're going to be covered no matter what happens in the market. So in this case, a small change in the withdrawal rate might be 
a case of an annoying bit of admin for someone with more wealth. But this could also be a significant impact on your quality of life if you have less wealth. So a simple example, if you had to take a 25% reduction in your spending, going from 60 grand to 45 grand, it would feel a lot different than going from 200,000 to 150,000. The dollar amount is obviously much higher in that second example, but cutting from 45 grand from 60 means that there's not as much room to cut non-discretionary spending and expenses. All right. So then we look at coverage for fixed expenses from non-portfolio income sources. So if you have more coverage from other sources of income, of course, that means more flexible withdrawals. If you rely heavily on your portfolio withdrawals, that would mean less flexible withdrawals. Ultimately, you might be getting income from investment properties, annuities, the age pension, anything that sits outside of your investment portfolio. And this is where owning your house outright can be beneficial. Your living expenses are taken care of, which means less fixed expenses to cover. Yeah. And so having these cash flows outside of your portfolio means that you can absorb any variations in the portfolio cash flows that you might have. And that, as Shani said, allows you to have a more flexible withdrawal strategy. There's quite a few more scenarios in this report, but we'll narrow it down to a few that we think are the most popular for our listeners. The first is, do you want to leave money to anyone when you die? You really want to leave money behind? That's going to add some rigidity or a fixed withdrawal to your withdrawal schedule. You want to leave money if you want to leave your kids unpaid debts and your toothbrush <laughs> that you can spend away if the market goes up. If you don't have a desire to leave assets at your death for somebody or something like a charity or cause, you have more flexible withdrawals. The research found that fixed real withdrawal systems tended to lead to a higher ending balance, mainly because the flexible methods gave investors a raise when their portfolio has done well, meaning they consume more of their portfolios on an ongoing basis than a fixed withdrawal. And if this is something that's really important to you, and if my mother's listening, this is really important to you. You can just separate those assets out from your spendable assets. And that just means that the inheritance that you pass on will be untouched while you continue to draw down on your retirement assets. And the last situation, not running out of money, which is the whole purpose of retirement planning. You want to make sure that in the best situation, you're able to maintain your lifestyle and not have the risk of running out of funds. For those investors that are concerned about running out or running short, flexible withdrawal strategies may suit you a little better. They tend to be a little more appropriate for investors who can employ variable strategies to adjust withdrawals along the way, depending upon the conditions they're facing. So fixed is, of course, fixed. There's taking out the same amount of money without consideration to circumstances or conditions. And this means that if the withdrawal rates are too high, you could run the risk of depleting your assets. In short, do your kids like you enough to take you in? <laughs> Okay, so those were the different considerations for whether your situation may or may not suit a flexible withdrawal strategy. The report is much more descriptive than we are and a lot more comprehensive. So if you'd like to know more about this, you can find the link to the full report through our resources page linked in the bio. You will require a premium subscription though or a free trial. So let's move on to another part of this report that we've cherry picked. And we've done these with the sections that we think are the most practical to apply to an investor's portfolio or retirement strategy. So next, we're going to talk about portfolio-level strategies for maximizing retirement income. Okay, and this is different from withdrawal strategies. So it focuses on improving the health of your retirement, basically your retirement portfolio, and of course applies to people still working and people in retirement now. So these strategies fall into two groups. So the first group is what will help you with a larger portfolio payout. 
And then the second group reduces demands on your portfolio. And it's not an either-or situation. You can pick to use none, one, all of them, whatever makes sense to your situation. And some are no-brainers, like the first, limiting tax costs. So, Shawnee, your mother thinks you're an accountant. <laughs> so why don't you get into how do you minimize taxes? Sure, mate. So um, retirees in Australia, they enjoy tax-free earnings in their account-based pension up to $1.7 million. As well as this, any income earned up to $18,200 is tax-free outside of Zuba. And generally speaking, assets that generate higher income should be placed in lower taxation environments. So any way that you can exercise a level of control over the tax management of your portfolios can potentially reduce the tax drag and should be a consideration in your portfolio checkups and reviews. So you just have to consider, are you optimally placed? Okay, we got another no-brainer mm-hmm. here. Reduce fees. Mm-hmm. So fees typically fall in two categories in retirement. So there's fees associated with specific holdings and the buying and selling of assets, such as expense ratios and commissions and advisory fees. So focusing on a low-cost investment product is pretty much risk-free. So our research has consistently found that there is a close correlation between low-expense investment products, so funds and ETFs, and better performance versus peers. But of course, if you're swapping into a lower-cost fund in a taxable environment, you'll have to weigh up the tax consequences. And we've seen the environment shift towards low and no-commission brokerage, which also makes it easier to lower trading costs. What's trickier, however, is balancing the drag of advisor fees alongside the value the advisor brings in other areas. Sometimes it isn't something that you can directly point out when you're looking at your portfolio. Advisors are often used by investors in retirement to provide counsel and stick with their plan in periods of market distress, and in some instances, serving as a safeguard in case there's cognitive decline as you're getting older and further into retirement. Okay, so the next strategy is employing valuation-centric withdrawal sourcing, which is a bit more controversial, but not uh, not as much of a no-brainer. For the record, Shani was looking at me when she said cognitive decline. <laughs> so there is also, there are no advisory fees if you listen to Investing Compass. Exactly. It's we don't charge you. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we've skimmed over this a little bit when we've talked about bucket strategies in retirement. But basically what the strategy that Shani mentioned, this valuation-centric withdrawal sourcing really rolls off the tongue, right? (laughs) Basically, what this means is you should take your withdrawals from assets that have appreciated rather than just selling a little bit of everything. For example, this year, you would have chosen to pull funds from U.S. growth-oriented equities to source cash flows for the next few years. When the market goes down, you can instead rely on cash that you hold in your portfolio or dividends and distributions to meet those cash flow needs. Yeah, the point of this is that it does provide cash flow, but it's also de-risking your portfolio on an ongoing basis by selling appreciated securities. Okay, the next one is a little bit of a softer strategy, and it's really just a decision you've got to make for yourself. And that's whether you are okay with tolerating a lower success rate or tolerate a higher likelihood of running out of money before 30 years has gone and the 90% success rate that was used in, in the tests. As an investor, you might just think that it's too conservative of an approach and understand that under most circumstances, your assets will survive regardless of a higher withdrawal rate. And this is not an unreasonable place to be. It is an extremely conservative study. But on the other hand, it's conservative for a reason. The cost of failure is uncomfortable to think of if you have become accustomed to a certain lifestyle in retirement. All right. Another strategy, skip full inflation adjustments on withdrawals. When we conducted this research and when Bill Bengen conducted his research, <laughs> we both assumed that in retirement, 
investors would seek constant real income, meaning that the withdrawals from the portfolio are adjusted for inflation. In reality, most retirees don't do this. And if they do, they don't do it on an annual basis. So if you're skipping full inflation adjustments, you're really just drawing out less money. And this habit increases the initial withdrawal rate that's safe. So as an investor, you can plan around this. It means that you're able to withdraw more from your portfolio during the early years of your retirement. And it evens out as you withdraw less from your investment pool over time. And many investors choose to do this because they tend to spend more in the first decade after retirement. So it suits that rhythm too. And of course, this is a complete mirage. You take more now, settle for less later as inflation erodes your purchasing power. But the approach makes intuitive sense for a lot of people. And so we'll move on to non-portfolio strategies. And we acknowledge that there's no such thing as free lunch, but these strategies explore some trade-offs that you can make to maximize retirement income. All right. So the first one is delaying retirement. And this is the simplest way to achieve a higher withdrawal rate because you're working longer and retiring later. It helps in two ways. The time horizon that the portfolio needs to provide for is reduced because you retire later. And the amount that you have in that portfolio increases because it gives you more spending years. And that's what you did. Do you remember when we did that portfolio construction yeah. one? You had to delay your retirement. retirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you went from 35 years away to 38 years away. Yeah. <laughs> Which so, wasn't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not like you can't retire yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You need to wait. Um, all right. So throughout this whole study and this podcast, the foundation of all the research and thought and planning is because we have no idea about our retirement end date. We just have no idea how long we have to provide for ourselves because we don't know when we're going to die. But what we do have control over in most instances is the start date of your retirement. So if you decide to delay your retirement by one year, the safe withdrawal rate in our study goes up from 3.3% to 3.5%. Delay retirement by five years, you can spend more than 4%. And the other thing, of course, that you can do is try to move in that death date. Take up smoking, maybe get a motorcycle. What other dangerous Drink activities? Drink a bottle of scotch and I. I was excluding that one because yeah. I consider that healthy behavior. <laughs> yeah. But um, A coping mechanism. A, co- a coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah. Cheaper than a psychologist. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So um, that example that Mark gave, it's not even considering additional contributions into your retirement, which is outside the scope of this study. Delaying retirement does have a significant impact, as you can see, whether it's one or five years. So if you have the capacity, the ability, and the inclination to keep working, it could lead to a much more comfortable retirement. Again, like many of the points in the study, there's a detailed explanation of the study's results going through each of the years delayed and its impact on safe withdrawal rates. Okay. A second strategy, which I think also falls into the no kidding category, is that you can, of course, reduce your expenses. So if we're facing a less favorable market environment over the next few decades, then we can think about the replacement rate. And that's the amount of our current salary that we want to replace in retirement. So 75 to 80% is a pretty popular benchmark. But see if there's a way that you can actually reduce that number, because of course, that will reduce your income needs. So that was a lot of information. It was a lot to take in, especially considering that it's regarding your retirement portfolio, a direct contributor to your quality of life in retirement. We want to make sure that we get it right. So it's important to acknowledge that like everything investing, your situation, circumstances, your goals, and your investing path is individual to you. So let's talk a little bit about how you can pull it all together and take the time to either listen again to this episode or read the report in full. So, Mark, can you help us pull this all together? I I can. So, 
The outcome of this research report ultimately reflects that the low returns forecasted in equity and fixed income markets has a significant impact on retiree outcomes. Lowering the withdrawal rate to 3.3% is a pretty conservative measure in a zero-sum game. You either run out of money before you die or you don't. Fact of the matter remains that the low return environment requires many of us investors to adjust our retirement plans and portfolios, as the good tidings we've experienced in the recent past is unlikely to continue. So you want to make sure, regardless of how close or far you are in retirement, that you consider that the next few decades are going to have a meaningful impact to the returns that you achieve in your portfolio and ultimately your quality of life. So consider some of the portfolio strategies and non-portfolio strategies that we spoke about, and keep in mind that the environment and market that we live and operate in is ever-changing. This research is going to be updated yearly, so we'll make sure that we keep you in the loop through Investing Compass. Yeah, I think since we started this, they probably released the updated (laughs) research because of how long it took. I don't know what else has happened. I've already spent two more years in my apartments after this is finished. (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, Who knows what's happened? They've they've discovered the Zeta variant. Yeah. Um, You know, anything could have happened. What comes after Zeta? I I do not know. I do not know. But yeah. Anyway, hopefully that was an informative episode. We know it was long, but there was a lot of detail that we wanted to go through. And we think it's pretty important. But thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. Kicking off 2022 right with Investing Compass. We would love, as a New Year's present, perhaps, a comment and a rating, depending obviously what you say and give us, on your podcast app. But thank you very much for listening today. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.